This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, January 9th. The Can I Tell Someone They're Parenting Wrong edition? I'm Zach Rosen. I make a different podcast. It's called The Best Advice Show. And I'm the dad to Noah, who's five, and Ami, who's two. We live in Detroit. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's eight, and Teddy, who's six. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's nine and three quarters, and we live in Los Angeles, California. Today on the show, we've got a question from a non-parent, but it's a really good question, and we just love that non-parents are listening to the show. They are a vital part of our audience, and we learn so much from them. We'll get to that, but first, it's time for the mailbag. We're going to start off with this fun letter in response to our Slate Plus segment about fourth graders getting, quote, married at school and the teachers being in on it. We shamelessly stole this story from a great thread on Slate's parenting Facebook group, which you can join by searching for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's really active. Anyways, here's the letter. This topic brought up such a repressed memory for me. I went to a Catholic elementary school that was attached to a nursing home. In fourth grade, we had adopted grandparents at the nursing home who we would visit once a week. At some point, we put on a wedding for them and everyone in the class had a part. The husband and wife were chosen because they were the closest in height and made a cute couple, if I remember correctly. I don't believe they were dating or anything, but all the girls definitely had a crush on the husband. So we were a little jealous of the wife. I think I was a bridesmaid. But this whole thing was orchestrated by our fourth grade teacher who was, wait for it, a nun. She was definitely the driving force behind it. But our parents had to be super involved because I definitely remember us dressing up for it. And we normally wore uniforms. Anyway, the 90s were wild, man. I mean, wild. That is very wild. (laughs) I went to Catholic school. And so I feel like with nuns. This is very on par, right? (laughs) I mean, that they were chosen because they were the closest in height and made a cute couple. That is so I mean, that's how they choose Mary and Joseph for the nativity. It's usually which boy and girl are the closest and which boy will stand next to a girl without saying ick. Those are the qualifications. (laughs) That's how I chose my wife based on height. (laughs) I'm looking for someone about my size. (laughs) (laughs) Next, we've got some additional advice for managing screen time. This is in response to our Solving Screen Time Struggles edition, and the question was about an eight-year-old who will watch TV for hours a day if he's left to his own devices. Literally devices. Uh, Here's our letter. Hi, Mom and Dad. While our house has some screen time limits, we've had greater success with making it a freely available resource so that there's no panic watching. As a result, my kids seem to accept limitations pretty easily because they know there will be more TV later on in the future. Conversely, we have friends whose parents hold the reins on screens very tightly, and some of those kids become zombies when a screen is around, or obsessively seek the screen out as a forbidden fruit. One of my friends tried the checklist of requiring certain activities before screen time, and it incidentally put screen time on a pedestal, making the obsession worse. I just wanted to give the letter writer permission to make screens freely available during certain times so that their child feels comfortable turning it off on their own. It has been really great for our family. Thanks. Love the show and appreciate y'all. 
You know, I think all this advice is so helpful because what works for your family is always so different, right? Like every kid is different. Every family is different. And I think a lot of parenting is the like, throw the spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. And and so if you feel like you can make it freely available and your child can learn to turn it off, great. If you have a kid that that's just never going to happen, then try something different. Yep. Yeah, how satisfying that must be to just watch your kid turn off their screen and walk away. I would love to watch my child turn off a screen and walk away. (laughs) We also have this lovely note. I wanted to share a quick note of gratitude to Zach for a recent recommendation. He mentioned the Arthur podcast, and I downloaded it before a couple recent trips, hoping to get the kids interested. We ended up being busy, or the kids were in the mood for a podcast during the trips. Unfortunately, we were rear-ended on New Year's Day and spent an hour in the car waiting for the next steps. Insurance, police, etc. after the accident occurred. I needed something to entertain the kids while I was understandably shaken up and trying to take care of business on a busy street in a big city on a cold day. I don't remember anything about the podcast episode we listened to, but my kids have been hooked on all things Arthur since that day. They revisited the show, have expressed interest in the podcast, and were playing on the app. Parenting is hard, and you may not expect your recommendations to have this much meaning, but it was such a lifesaver on a very difficult day. We are all physically fine after the accident and taking it easy at home. Thanks again, not only for the recommendation, but for all the joy, laughter, and advice you share on the podcast. My husband and I have listened for years, and we appreciate it so much. Well, I'm so glad you love Arthur. We are listening so much. It looks like they just maybe finished up their first season. There are only eight episodes out. Um, I'm hoping they do more, but they're really well produced. So hopefully they're just taking a break and, and making some more. But so glad that you like it. I know, but Zach, kudos to you. You saved the day. Let's bring out the aardvark. No, I'm thrilled. This is so exciting. I'm so glad. Finally, we also got this little short tip from a listener about finding and pinpointing what activities kids want to try and which ones they want to actually pursue. This was in response to a young girl who wants to do all the activities all at once. The YMCA or similar is an amazing way to test out a week of each of these. Let her try them all over summer and then see what sticks. We did this last year with my five-year-old, and I was surprised and delighted to see her pick out stuff that I wouldn't have guessed would be her favorite. I mean, brilliant. This is a great idea. Yeah, the YMCA is great. Such a great resource. It's really fun to stay at the YMCA. Sorry. (laughs) Thank you again to everyone who's written to us. We genuinely love getting and sharing your advice and messages. If you ever have something to share or a question of your own, send us a voice memo or an email to momanddad at slate.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break before we hear today's listener question. Stay right there. We are back and ready to hear our listener question, which is being read by the wonderful Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I am one of those weirdo non-parents who listens to the show. And I love it. I work with a lot of kids in groups and individually as a drama therapist, and I have a fair amount of professional interaction with parents. I have a question that I would know the answer to if it happened in a professional situation, but this is a personal one. My husband and I have a couple whom we are friends with, and they have a four-year-old daughter, and I hate how they parent her. It doesn't rise to the level of abuse, but I believe it is damaging. They are constantly overstimulating her with instructions, corrections, I think overcorrections, praise, and basically they never stop talking at her and give her little time to talk herself. 
unless it is a commanded performance. They expect her to be still and quiet in ways that are impossible for a healthy four-year-old. And I hate being around it. And I feel so bad for this little girl who is clearly, maybe I'm projecting, stressed out by all of this. I say they, but honestly, it's the mother. And she sort of treats the father the same way. We have them and another couple over for an annual holiday meal. And I would much prefer just to invite the kids and have the adults stay home. I try to counteract some of this when they are at my home by interacting directly with her in a way that does not contradict her parents. Maybe offering drawing materials, listening to what she's saying, small things. More context, these are old friends of my husband's who have become friends of mine, but who we have drifted somewhat apart from over the years. Also, the mother in question, while in no way an unintelligent or unsuccessful woman, is the only one among us who is not college-educated. I think there's some class or education anxiety at play, complexities of which I understand to a degree, but not fully because I am a US slash German expat in London, and boy, is the UK class system complex in a way that goes beyond what I know from the US and Germany. I hope that they are more relaxed parents when there is not an audience, but the mother's corrections are loud enough and performative enough that when we are in public, it feels like she's performing to the whole world. Do I say anything? I absolutely would with kindness and compassion if this were a parent of a child I encountered professionally, but here it feels as if I would be overstepping. But I want to stand up for this little girl, and if I don't say anything, is it okay to forever cancel the annual gathering we host and that they expect so that I am minimally exposed to this going forward? Signed, that bitchy non-parent who judges. Great question. This is such a great Mm -hmm. question. My answer kills me because there's nothing I love more <laughs> than giving people like resources or suggesting solutions <laughs> to their problems. But assuming that you absolutely feel that this is not an abuse or neglect situation, I just think you can't say anything. I I think that parenting styles are different, that being a parent is super hard. And when I was reading this question, I just kept thinking about um, Amy Poehler in her book, Yes, Please, says basically, good for her, but not for me. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like, particularly as women, we have a tendency to think, I don't know if it's self-preservation or think like, well, this is what's best. Or like, if I were parenting, it would be this way. Now, certainly, it seems like you have some professional advice you could offer, but I think that you would have to be in a situation in which they are asking for advice or that you have a relationship in which you can give the advice and understand that if they don't take it, that you can walk away and say, this is what I would do differently, but it's your child and and your life. And I just don't think in this situation that you can sort of without being invited, say, I don't think you are doing these things right. Again, all of this, I think, goes out the window if you believe that this child is being neglected or abused, like if there's some kind of emotional abuse going on that you could certainly say something. But at least from what I read in the description, it it feels a little bit like it is just that you would do things differently, that they're micromanaging too much, and that you Mm -hmm. would allow more freedom. And again, I, I think you could ask, like, this person, you know, like, how's it going with parenting, you could try to invite that conversation. I also think it's okay, though, if that means that you need to leave the situation, like that you need to not be with this parent, 
then then that is okay. But it also sounds like you're only getting together once a year. So if once a year you have a good interaction with this child and you're modeling that good behavior, maybe that's really good, right? Like, are you giving this child another touch point that maybe Mm -hmm. um, provides them this opening? Like, could you continue to do this once a year just to have that touch point? But I just think, you guys, you just um, telling other people how to parent without invitation when there's nothing really wrong. I just feel like it's not, it's not very pro mom or parenting. I don't know. What do you guys think? Less than it being anti-mom or anti-parent, I guess my bigger concern is just that this family seems unlikely to listen to you. You know, Mm -hmm. like that you do work with children, you know, which gives you some bona fides, but you're not a parent and you all aren't terribly close. So I just imagine them being really defensive, especially, you know, it seems that the mother has some class anxiety already. um, Mm. If that connects to how she feels about you, you know, or feels that she's judged by you or that she's somehow inadequate because she doesn't have a degree um, compared to you you know, here's this thing that she's been doing for four years that you haven't, you know, who are you to confront her about it? Um, But I feel really bad for this girl. And I wonder if there's an opportunity during this annual gathering, which I agree, I don't think you should let it go because that is an opportunity for this child at the very least to have an interaction with an adult that's more positive and affirmative and, you know, something that just represents a different sort of adulting, you know, and hopefully something that can create some lasting memories for this kid. But that, you know, maybe there's one of those moments where there's been like this really dramatic overcorrection and you could say, hey, you know, my experience with kids and just what I've observed seems like that might be a little bit more than she can handle, you know, Mm. um, Like, I think you can sneak a little something in there. I just don't think, Mm -hmm. you know, but I am worried that it won't be terribly effective. Does that make sense that like you can get in there and say, you know, like you've you've basically got latitude to make like maybe one comment, you know, (laughs) like that's about it. So make it a good one. I like this, though, Jamila, because I think she maybe there's latitude for one negative comment, but there's probably Mm -hmm. latitude for a whole bunch of like really positive comments about like gosh she's so creative or you know um look how she plays with that drawing material on her own like I work with a lot of kids and gosh they all love to like do this when adults are talking like those sort of (laughs) comments Mm -hmm. um but yeah I would definitely I like your idea of like using the year to come up with like (laughs) how can I make one statement (laughs) make it worth it can I inch it yeah can I inch the parenting (laughs) I like I like to think that there are friend relationships that can to withstand critique. You know, when your friends like do something that upsets you or like they've hurt you in some way, I'd like to think that you can like tell them that that you can say like I I was hurt. This is different, of course, because yeah. this is you offering like your analysis on how they're parenting. So it's a whole it's it's more complex than than what I just suggested, but I guess I'm just trying to think, like, has anyone ever offered you, you know, analysis or critique in a way that, like, actually made you rethink your MO and, like, live your life differently? Well, yes, but it was based on a relationship of love and understanding and non-judgment, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, 
the woman I homeschool with is a mirror to me a lot of times, right? Like after mm-hmm, something right. happens, we're together a lot of the time. She sees a lot of my parenting. She will reach out with articles or say like, hey, you know, you seem to be really struggling in this interaction with Oliver today when you were doing that. What, what has worked for me with him or would you try this? But it comes to me in a way that A, I know she loves me and she loves my kids, right? So she's she's not saying to me, you're a bad parent. She's saying, let right. me help you be a better parent. And I know that it it comes from this place too where she's not saying, I know better because I'm better, right? Which is what I'm afraid comes from this. Like and, and like Jamila said, it's this the cards are kind of stacked against our letter writer because if she only sees them once a year, that is such a small piece of the puzzle and understanding what it's really like to be in the thick of it with your child. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that those critiques that we're able to hear come from a place of like this, this relationship that can withstand that because the defensive wall, you know, anytime someone tells you something negative, you put up that defensive wall. So do you have the relationship that can take it down, right? That your right. your self-talk is saying, this person is saying this because they love me, not because they don't like me or they think I'm doing something wrong. They want me to succeed. I don't think this is that relationship. But if it is, if like if, if letter writer, you're hearing this and you're like, no, I love these kids deeply. I love this woman deeply. Maybe they're checking in a bunch during the year, even though they're only seeing each other once a year. Like, you know, maybe. But but yeah, tread very lightly and practice practice. You should watch to see like how this kid evolves. I mean, like you were saying, too, you're only seeing them once a year. And perhaps this the parenting, they're like parenting performatively for you like maybe they're actually not always like this and it's because like maybe they're intimidated this is their party Um, parenting (laughs) they're like we're out and about and you will behave so you don't embarrass us parenting right that could be it but yeah i wouldn't give up on this yet no can i just say you're a really good friend for writing in and thinking about this i think the idea that you thought about like can i do something is such a wonderful nice thing and you're clearly a very like loving um, person who's trying to do the right thing. Yes. Definitely. And conversely, unlike you, uh, I want listeners to remember that we are trying to collect stories of parents who have been uh, critiqued in public um, <laughs> by just wacky strangers. So, like, we want those stories and we would love them to be sent as a voice memo. So, if anyone has ever, like, come up to you and just, like, uh, criticize your parenting, someone you don't know, we want to hear those stories because we'd love to put together a segment on that. There's a pretty uh, active thread going in the Facebook group. So, send us that voice memo to momanddad at slate.com. But uh, bitchy non-parent who judges, we hope this helped. And please do let us know how it goes. Everyone else, if you have uh, advice for our letter writer, you can also let us know that by emailing us at momanddad at slate.com. Okay, it's finally time for recommendations. Elizabeth, what are you recommending? Okay, I am passing on a recommendation that we received from our occupational therapist that has made toothbrushing so much easier. Um, I have one child, Oliver, who the toothpaste is spicy, right? Even if we get the other kinds, Mm -hmm. he doesn't really like it. It's like a lot of sensation. Um, Teddy is pretty good and lets us kind of do it. Henry's been great for years, which is lovely. But um, our OT recommended this app. It's the Philips Sonicare app. It's free. It does have a like 
electric toothbrush that goes with it. We do not have that. We just use the app and you can download it and hit like I'm using a regular toothbrush or I'm using an electric toothbrush that is not this Bluetooth linked app. It's a little monster and you're helping him brush his teeth as you brush yours. It does help you brush for the full two minutes. You can pause it and he's constantly telling you like, hey, feel free to pause and, you know, like spit and they can push the pause and then we stop, right? So it's giving them some control, but it's got a cute little animation. You're brushing this monster's teeth. And every time you complete a successful brushing, sometimes he gets a food, sometimes he gets an accessory. Anyway, it makes it really fun. Instead of saying like, hey, it's time to brush your teeth. We say like, hey, your monster needs brushed. And so that seems to also just just help the process. Uh, it They have the app for like every type of phone, tablet, whatever, I was able to find them all on there. And you can have, you know, for all your different kids to just choose their monster. And it's really just made this like more fun. Jeff's a little annoyed because he's like, it's one more step. Like now we need a phone to brush, you know, teeth. But to me, it's not fighting and we're getting in really good teeth brushing um, with the kids. So that's the Philips Sonicare app. Cool. They've got an app for everything. I know. Jamila, what are you recommending? I'm recommending a book that I'm reading now called Red Lip Theology by Candice Marie Benbow. Um, it's, you know, it's just somebody who's really interested in Black women in our lives. Uh, it appealed to me, even though I was raised outside of the church. But I think for anyone who was raised in church, it would be a really fascinating read. It talks about Black women's unique relationship to Christianity and how the Black church in particular has... Um, influenced and orchestrated life for Black women in this country since, you know, the days of Reconstruction. And it's part memoir, part, you know, I don't want to say takedown, but it is a takedown of the church in a way for its misogyny and commitment to upholding patriarchy and just kind of like what that means for Black women. But it's really, really fascinating. And I think for any woman who was raised in church, it would be a super fascinating read. But for somebody who didn't have that experience, I still find it really, really interesting. And Candace is a brilliant writer who, you know, came up on social media and has just been a really powerful voice for Black women. And girls for a long time. So I'm very excited. It's her debut book and it's really, really interesting. So Red Lip Theology. Is it helping you with your book? It is. It is. Because one of the things that, you know, I'm writing about is what it's meant to be raised outside of the church and how that can be kind of an isolating experience as a Black woman because Christianity is so central to our collective identity and experiences. And so not being intimately familiar with all the ins and outs of that has made me feel like an outsider at times. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to do a really basic recommendation, but it's one that I've been struggling with. Shira and I, for the last 100 years, have gotten into the terrible habit of just being on our phones in bed before we go to sleep, knowing that like we don't want this life for ourselves. Uh, Sometimes we watch a show or a movie, but most of the time we're just like sitting there on our phones and it's just, it's just soul sucking. And then last night we are like, let's read, let's read an actual book. Remember actual books, mm-hmm. um, which like we brought on our trip up North with us, but actually didn't do because we've just kind of been habituated out of holding a book and, and reading it and valuing that time. So last night we put our phones away and we just sat there side by side reading our own books and it was incredible 
I love books. What the hell have I been doing? This is such a better way to end your day. Um, I'm reading Ocean Vuong's On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous, finally. My God, it's amazing. And uh, Shira is reading our friend Adrienne Marie Brown's uh, novella, Grievers. And she says that is also uh, beautiful. So, oh man, there was just like this quietude that I like forgot was possible. The kids were sleeping. We'd already done that. We didn't have any more chores. And we were just like sitting in silence. It's probably just a half hour, but I think we both knocked out like several chapters and I'll probably finish it tonight. And I'm like so excited and I'm hoping that this new year will kind of reinforce this behavior because it felt so good. All right, that's it for the show. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Christy Taiwo Macanjula. For Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp, I am Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening.